Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Oh, we gotta talk to strangers. <sighs> strangers. I don't even like regular people that are my friends sometimes. I don't know how I feel about strangers. <laughs> this show is called Nancy, so like the question I'm asking people is what do you think a show called Nancy would be about? <laughs> I had the same thought. <laughs> a show called Nancy. I mean, it brings up the term of what it means in gay culture of being yeah. a Nance or Nancy. I think it would be about a little old lady named Nancy. A 30 to 40 year old woman whose husband left her. Who has lots of cats. Maybe like one or two kids and now she needs to figure out a way to like support her kids. Nancy, so what would you be discussing on your podcast? Well, it's actually going to be an LGBTQ uh, podcast. I like that. That I really like it. From WNYC Studios, this is Nancy. With your hosts, Kathy Tu and Tobin Lowe. Hey, Mom. Yeah? You want to introduce yourself? Hi, this is Tobin's mom. This is my mom, Vivian. If you need a visual, she's a small Chinese woman with transition lenses. Her driver's license says she's 5'2", but she likes to say that she shrunk since then. Mom, I have to ask, do you remember um, that conversation we had when I came out? (laughs) I don't. I think I was just in such, like, trying to figure out all my emotions at the moment. It's pretty blurry to me. I told my parents I was gay over Thanksgiving break of freshman year of college, the night before I was supposed to go back to school. I had what I would call a vague sense of dread, but I also thought I knew how my mom might react, somewhere between a hug and a parade, which is not what I got. Tell me what I said. (laughs) We had a conversation. You said, I want to say two things to you that I would say even if you were straight. Number one, don't be such a slob, because no one's going to want to be with you if you're such a slob. (laughs) And number two, I think you've gained weight. (laughs) Well, I guess it's kind of a compliment to me, because those are just pretty normal things you would say to anybody. (laughs) Even in that crisis of a moment, I think I still felt as you're my son, and I'm just going to keep telling you things that I think will improve you. (laughs) Can I tell you a horrible secret about coming out? Always. The first person I came out to was not my best friend, but a girl I knew who was obsessed with Will and Grace. And so as a strategic move, I was like, this will probably be a softball that I can (laughs) throw to myself. That is very strategic. Yeah, and then it backfired because I came out to her and she was immediately like, you are my will. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I love being typecast in my own life. Yeah. But seriously, it was kind of great to have somebody there who's like an immediate cheerleader and also sort of forcing me to like identify as a gay man, as a queer person. And I think that's like a thing that queer people have in common is these moments where you like have to define yourself. Over and over and over again to yourself, to other people. Um, And it's hard to do when you're actively trying to figure it out. Right. It's like both awful and wonderful and sometimes a mix of both. Mostly mix of both. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I think like that's one reason I'm so grateful we have this show because I think that's what the stories are going to be about. Right. Like we're going to try to capture people figuring it out in their own lives. Like the story of how I came out to my mom and how it's been this long, ongoing process for the both of us. Because as much as I wanted an immediate positive response from her, or really just any response, that's not what I got. Hello, hello. When I was about five years old, my parents told me we were going on vacation. So I packed up my little blue backpack, walked onto a giant airplane, and we moved from Taipei to Los Angeles. We moved so that my sister and brother and I could have a better education. So, of course, right away they stuck me in school. And I, knowing no English, promptly failed first grade. But to be fair, I did start in the middle of the year, and, you know, I thought I was on vacation. So, obviously, I've learned English, but I've lost a lot of my Mandarin along the way. My parents speak mostly in Chinese, so our conversations are usually in Chinglish. When I was growing up, my mom would yell at me in Chinese to clean up the living room because something was out of place. And I would scream back in English, I'll do it soon. And it usually was my mom doing the yelling because she did the bulk of the parenting. So her opinion is the one I care about most. And frustratingly, she's the only one who refuses to hear me come out. My name? Mm-hmm. Chinese name is Chen Shunlian. English name is Emily. Her English name is Emily. She grew up in rural Taiwan, dirt poor. She told me that, like, when she was little, she'd be so happy even just to have, like, a little bit of, like, chicken on the table or something. That's Rosalind. Oh, I'm your sister, older sister. My mom was always working. She helped at the family laundromat, and when she was 16, she went to nursing school, because that's what her mom told her to do. She worked as a nurse until she moved to the States when she was 33. She'd probably say she's never met a gay person in her life. That she knew of, at least. Until me. The first time I came out to my mom was after I'd returned from a college semester in Taiwan, relearning Mandarin. I was living in L.A. and in my first relationship with a girl. And even though I felt like my mom wouldn't take kindly to this news, I felt like I needed to try. Maybe it'll be okay, I thought. Maybe she'll understand and I've been scared for no reason. And with my new Mandarin skills, I'll be able to really explain myself. So I wrote my mom a long email, and buried in the middle were four short sentences about having a girlfriend. As soon as I hit send, I felt like I'd planted a bomb. About an hour later, my mom called. She yelled and screamed for me to move home. And through my ugly crying, I remember her saying, I was always afraid of this, and I can't accept it. But I didn't go home. In fact, we basically ignored that that interaction ever happened. Instead, my mom and I went back to fighting about everything else. I think you both have very strong personality and very strong cultural beliefs. Like, those ideas are very, very different. So I think you guys clash a lot at the times. When my mom and I fight, she usually ends with, Remember that you're Chinese. Remember that you're Chinese. The Chinese value, the tradition of honoring lovers and respecting elderly, the way you speak, the way you think has to be more of a conservative, it's a more conservative uh, tradition, you know. 
Because she's so conservative, we clashed over everything. Growing up, we clashed because I never wanted to wear dresses or anything pink. We clashed because I wanted to play hockey and take martial arts classes. I wanted her to be proud of me for putting together my IKEA dresser without my dad's help. She shook her head and said, You better learn to let a guy help you, or you'll never find a husband. Back then, even though I didn't know I was queer, I knew I was different, and I was ashamed of it. So I spent a lot of time in my room, watching TV, wishing I were someone else, and living in my daydreams. A few years after I came out for the first time, I was living back at home, single, and studying for the bar exam. I felt like I had no control over my life, and every day felt like a never-ending slog. My mom did her best to support me. She left me alone to study, and she made sure I had food and snacks. But even with all that support, I still felt like there was this invisible wall between us. At this point in my life, I was out to everyone I knew and very happy about it. I guess what I didn't expect was that I'd still long for my mom's validation. So, sitting in my room, books and lectures screaming at me, I thought, I need to come out to my mom again. But this time, I came armed. I found a Mandarin flyer from a local gay rights organization. In bold type at the top, it said, awkwardly translated, After your children came out, a guide for parents of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender children. I started a new email, attached the flyer, and pressed send. I emailed my mom, who was downstairs. About an hour later, I still hadn't heard anything from her, so I went downstairs into the kitchen where my mom was doing the dishes. I asked if she got my email, and she nodded. Then I asked if she wanted to talk, and she said, without looking at me, what do you want me to say? I didn't have an answer for her. I didn't have the words for validate my existence. So I said nothing. And we went back to not talking about it. Which brings us to the third time that I've come out to my mom a couple years later. Hello, hello. We sat down in my sister's room because it's the quietest place in my parents' house. Okay, so this is what I was thinking. We're going to talk about things, and then we're going to use Google Translate for the things that don't make any sense. Ah, Google Translate sometimes. It cannot translate. Very good. Yeah, but the point is, if you understand me. I understand, but you cannot. You guys do not understand me. Really? Because I think that you don't understand me. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Okay. However. So so we'll try. I wanted to try it this way because my previous attempts at coming out ended so abruptly. First she yelled at me, then she shut me down. But maybe part of the problem was that I'd been approaching it as an announcement rather than a conversation. So this time, we were going to talk. She had the tools she needed to ask whatever she wanted and to say what she wanted. And I could too. So I did. Part of me not liking myself for so long is that I had to keep hiding part of me from you because you refused to talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not completely gay, but I'm mostly gay. Mm-hmm. That's not something you choose to do. It's just something that you are. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. You have no response. What kind of response do you expect from me? See, that's the same thing you told me last time. Like when I sent information to you in Chinese, I asked if you had any questions. You said no. And what, what else do you want me to say? And I just want to, I just wanted to talk about it because it's a big part of my life. And I think, okay, if you insist, I will talk about it. The gay, I know the gay, the, the mean, but um, every parent does show you a normal life. But every parent wants you to have a normal life. The normal life, you know, the marriage and okay. kids. This is what I hope for you. Like uh, my parents. This was the expectation from my parents. So I expect the same for my own children. If you really are gay, there's nothing I can do about it. Because this is your choice. I only hope for one thing. Do not discount all men. Yeah, but that's not, that's what I mean when I asked you, do you understand what it means to be gay? Because... That's not how it works. This is how I feel. Why did you become this way? Why did you choose this? I don't know. Is it because your family influenced you? Why do you think this way? Why? It's not something you choose. You just are. I don't have the capability of falling in love with men. Do you know what that means? Capacity. Capacity. It's not possible for me to fall in love with men. Why? I don't know. It's just not possible. Yeah, there's no trying. There's like, there's dating. I guess that's trying. But it just, you don't feel anything. And because you can't accept me as a whole person, I'm always going to feel like I'm lacking this this relationship. And I can't tell you everything because... So last month, December, was a really hard month for me. But the things that were upsetting me, I can't tell you because it would make you happy even though it makes me sad. Why? Because there was a girl that I liked who didn't like me back. And I was really sad for a really long time, but I can't tell you that because you would just be happy that this wasn't happening for me. And so December was a really hard time and why I wasn't home so often. But I couldn't tell you these things. Hmm. Understand. If you feel that you need to act this way to be happy and more comfortable, then go ahead. If you make this decision or when you meet the right person, I guess I can't do anything about it. Go ahead, but if you want me to totally support you, I can't do that yet. 
The thing that you should know, though, is that whoever my partner is doesn't change who I am now. I don't think you've changed. I just don't want to talk about it. But why? I think this is my fault. I gave birth to you this way. Isn't that my fault? A normal life isn't like this. But who says what's normal? My generation, my generation from start to end. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But in my opinion, I expect my children to behave in certain ways. And if they don't, I can't do anything about it. I can't say I reject you because if I do, you'll be unhappy. And I don't want you to be unhappy. If you ask me if I care, of course I do. But I will let go of my care. I will minimize how much I care. As long as you are happy. I think that's the only thing that I can ask. I mean, it's not fair to... It's not fair to change somebody's mind immediately. That's fair. All along, I thought if I could just get my mom to understand me, if I could just be clear, I'd reach her. We would connect and she would accept me. But I was never going to get that in just one conversation. Recently, my mom left me this voicemail. She said she and my dad tried their best to support me and my siblings, but their understanding of us is limited. She wants me to know that I can call to talk about anything. She may not give me the answer I want, but she'll be there to listen. She told me that, as I grew up, she knew I was different. But no matter what I do with my life, she will always be there when I call. And my room will always be there if I need it. Bye-bye. Is there anything you ever had to tell your parents that was hard to tell them? Oh. Um, that I was going to move to New York <laughs> without a job, sell my car and move here. Okay, so mom, dad, guess what? I started drinking. <laughs> yeah, because my dad is really protective, so I wouldn't be as open to him with my problems as I am with my mom. Yeah. There was a time that I told my parents that I wasn't going to college and I was going to clown school instead. Um, coming out was very difficult. <laughs> Nancy will be back in a minute. Tobin. Kathy. One of the things I think that surprised me about coming out was that it really wasn't just me who was going through something. Like, the other person suddenly had a thing that they had to go through, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had no idea the amount of processing 
that my parents needed to do just to understand everything and to come to terms with it. Uh We fought a lot. We had a lot of intense discussions. Um, But the weirdest thing was that my dad, like, processed it through, I guess I would call them five friends. I became a total Queer Eye for the Straight Guy fan boy. I just want to be clear here. My dad fucking loved this show. <laughs> like, he <laughs> taped all the episodes. He tried out Ted Allen recipes. There were guys that I thought would be really fun to learn from and hang out with for a week. Um, I remember you took, like, a lot of tips from them. Well, I took some uh, personal uh, grooming tips. Uh, for example, Carson, he gave me a new word, which was I'd already rolled up my sleeves at work because I work as a doctor and rolling up my sleeves is keeping them cleaner. But he called it zhuzhing the sleeve. You know, the show used to give me a huge amount of anxiety. Well, my anticipated thought is that it did because you thought it was too stereotypical. And I thought they were very comfortable in their style so that it was kind of like, for me, stereotype be damned. The one guilt I had was how much I told you I loved this show and I didn't know if that offended you. In what way would my feelings have been hurt, though? Well, because that I, I realized that you probably saw, and I think I got that hint from you right away, you actually said something to that effect, that you thought it was too um, uh, flaunting it. It was too gay. It was uh, too put on. It was really, I yeah, I'll admit at the time it was really tough because they, um, it seemed like a million miles down the road from where I was. Yes. I think it was like at the time when I was figuring out that I was gay. Yes. This was really intimidating to see five guys who had these sort of like gay superpowers. <laughs> yes. Yes. Why do you hate Queer Eye? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't call myself like a queer eye truther. Like a lot of people are super pissed that the show is coming back. I definitely hated it at the time, but it had more to do with me than it had to do with them. Like mm. these guys on the show, they didn't seem like full people to me. And so they sort of didn't help me imagine what my life would be like as a as a an adult gay man, Mm. which was funny because for my dad, it did the complete opposite. It totally helped him do that. Um, Let's say this show gave me more uh, security and some sense of of hope for you in the future than, say, a movie like Brokeback Mountain, which, you know, kind of scared the shit out of mom and me. I remember in some of the talks we had about after I came out that, you know, you had lost your best friend to AIDS. And I, whether or not we explicitly said it, I felt that that was one of the fears for for me as a gay man. Toby, this, uh, the first AIDS epidemic broke in the early 80s and it broke big and hard in the Bay Area. In the hospital, I was uh, part of teams that took care of many gay men who suffered from the the secondary effects, the secondary infections, and then finally dying of AIDS. And so I saw that throughout the 80s into the 90s uh, until all the the great antiretrovirals came on, and and thankfully they they were taking effect and having real positive effect. But I remembered that was my first image or fear that popped into my head the moment you said that. I remember driving to work, and at times, uh, 
kind of starting crying. And I would actually have tears rolling down my face thinking about you as a gay man. And I remembered starting to have to say out loud to myself, I am the father of a homosexual man. And it wasn't because it was a negative stereotype. It was because I had to recast how I thought about you as my son from the day you were born to the time you went to college and like another door opened. And suddenly it took us into a whole new universe. So even though I personally was not a fan of Queer Eye, I can appreciate what it did for my dad. Like, it let him see a different way of being gay, that my life didn't have to be sad and tragic, but that I could be, you know, like a happy, fulfilled gay person who is accepted into people's lives um, and could give them tips on how to be a better dresser. <laughs> Wait, did your dad dress better because of Queer Eye? A hundred, a hundred and fifty percent. He still actually rolls up his <laughs> sleeves the way that Carson Kressley taught him to do in 2003. Oh, my God. Which was terrible <laughs> because now he uses it as ammunition to make fun of how I dress. <laughs> okay, no, okay, now... I have to have, I'm going to share one guilty thing that I will now tell you. We go out to Cleveland and we have dinner with you and your first boyfriend. Oh, God. And I don't know if you remember how you guys were dressed, but you guys were doing the, I feel, fashion faux pas of wearing denim top jackets and and denim jeans. (laughs) And afterwards, afterwards, mom, mom and I were talking about it and I said, I have to tell you, Viv. They look like extras from Brokeback Mountain. Oh, my God. I said that. I admit to you now that I said that to you. Uh, About you. I apologize, Tobin. (laughs) But, But to this day, it still makes me laugh. I would say it took me a long time to realize how much time he and my mom would need to just process everything. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my mom is still trying to process what we talked about. And, like, honestly, I'm probably going to have to come out to her again. Let's be real. (laughs) Do it for season two. (laughs) (laughs) You are sick of this. (laughs) But really, we do have so much more to cover. So here's a preview of what's coming this season on Nancy. I fought it for a very long time. And one of the excuses that I had was, I can't be queer because I already have too much going on. And so to have one of the protagonists, and, you know, the most powerful, gracious, awesome wizard of all time, being openly gay would just be huge. Like, I I always, like, never wanted to catch any of, uh, like, a butch woman's attention. There's a, there is a whole... There's a whole narrative here that I was not privy to, that I had no, that I didn't participate in. I mean, your your classmates are right. You're speaking about a relationship that you had with me, but I didn't have with you. He got a kick out of a a title called Fortune Nookie. I mean, you know, it's it's a clever title. So is White on Rice. So is With Sex You Get Egg Roll. Being a little awkward 12-year-old gay kid and then seeing a very charming, confident gay adult that allowed me to imagine an adult version of myself. I never knew that I could... Hmm. It's okay. (laughs) 
that I could actually be a role model for somebody. They say that that just cannot be. They say that it doesn't make sense. How can I be a Republican and gay at the same time? It doesn't make sense to them. And unfortunately, a Nazi website picked up the episode and wrote an article about me. I didn't know the Nazis still existed. So people say, if you could go back and um, change everything that happened, what would you do different? And I'm being totally honest, and I don't know if I don't... Be totally honest, please. I wouldn't change anything, right? I made a conscious decision to be in love. Okay, okay, business time. Kathy, say your thing. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Nancy Podcast. We've got links, gifts, and live video where we're all going to hang out together. And don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. You know you want to. Beautifully done. Now let's go to credits. Our producer. Matt Collette. Sound designer. Jeremy Blum. Editor. Jenny Lawton. Executive producer. Paula Schumann. Intern. Kathy with the C. Wong. Special thanks. Susie Lechtenberg. I'm Tobin Lowe. I'm Kathy too. And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios. Anything else? I, I don't know. <laughs> I have a beautiful singing voice. And I do not.